0: This episode, I chat to Beth Berent. She's written a book about nesting. And we've spoken a little bit about nesting on the podcast before. It tends to be my American guests that talk about it. But it's interesting that it has come up in our little Patreon group chat that we have with the Divorce Social recently. And it's the idea that the children stay in the family home and the parents move in and out rather than the children moving homes to where the parents are. And initially, I was like, no, why would you do that? But it's really interesting to hear from someone who's done it and someone who's obviously enjoying the process. And I can definitely see the benefits from both sides. So I think this is a really interesting one and maybe something we're going to get more involved in in the UK or maybe is going to become more widespread kind of globally. There are a few articles online actually of UK families who've done this as well, but there's a lot more information going on in the US with this. It's almost like a trend, if there's divorce trends. Is that a thing? I don't know. But um, it's a really interesting perspective. And I'd be really interested to know if any of you listening think, yeah, this is for me, I want to do this, or we already do this. Because I'm interested to hear about different experiences of this. So I hope you enjoy anyway and useful information if you're ever considering doing it this way. So yeah, let me know what you think. I am joined by Beth Berent, author of Nesting After Divorce and writer. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Nice to see you. And how do you feel me telling you that you are on The Divorce Social, the podcast? <laughs>
2: Well, it's, um, it's great because obviously, um, Co-parenting for many divorced people is a huge issue in their lives. And um, I'm happy with the course my family's taken. And so I'm, you know, looking forward to sharing that with other people, hopefully, you know, encouraging them to think about other ways to co-parent than the sort of outdated hate each other, make the kids do all the work kind of approach that sometimes people default to.
0: And about how do you feel as being defined as a divorced person? Is that okay for you?
2: Yeah, it is, though I have to admit I've been divorced for almost 10 years so you know it's something I'm <laughs> it's just part of you know who I've been for a while now. Of course early on it's um, it's harder because you feel a little bit you know that you've let people down like your family and your in-laws. Um, there's still a bit of a you know uh, stigma against being divorced even though half the people who get married end up divorced, you still can't help but feel that you're you know a failure. And so it is, it's not, you know, the the adjective you hope to have attached to your name, I guess, but um, very much am happy that I went through that process. I actually feel proud of that moniker now that I'm a divorced parent. And um, I'm really, you know, happy with my life and my children's life and my relationship with my ex. And we wouldn't have gotten to this state if we hadn't gone through the divorce.
0: I like that you say you're proud because I'm proud of it now, too. I mean, I I will always be associated with it, I guess, because my face is on the logo of the podcast (laughs) called The Divorce Social. Um, But yeah, I feel quite proud that I'm divorced and that I went through it. Where do you think that pride comes from for you? Is it just like pride and survival or is it an achievement?
2: For me, you know, there's a little bit of that. Happiness about, you know, getting through the process. But, um, the larger thing is the achievement of, you know, I wasn't happy in my life. My life was not a great situation. And, um, we had tried some things, some therapy, tried, you know, I tried ignoring it, you know? <laughs> um, tried to work on it. And neither of us at that point were capable of, um, really making any changes. And so I think divorce was even though it was scary was the best approach to take and so yeah I feel very proud of myself that I took that leap, you know, because it was scary but I'm I've never once regretted it.
0: So it's interesting so you feel pride in that like initial decision in taking mm-hmm. the leap. But what about the process? What kind of emotions are conjured when you think about what you went through? from the moment you took that leap to now
2: yeah um you know of course there was a lot of fear i had never been divorced before and i happened to come from a family and the same with my ex that our parents had been together you know for decades our siblings were married um so it wasn't something that was very common in our experiences so there was you know a lot of worry um but I really felt like as soon as I decided it was the right thing to do. and um, and my ex, you know, was not on board originally, but you know, he did come around to it. I felt a lot of confidence that I could figure it out. and that that we could work together eventually, you know, because we had worked together. We'd been married for 18 years when we got divorced, so we had a long history of um, you know having children and doing things with our lives together. And even though there were a lot of high emotions and, you know, not happiness, I had a lot of faith that we could get back to kind of the people we really were, you know, the good parts about our relationship and that the romantic aspect of marriage did not have to be part of us being successful together. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that you said your ex wasn't on board to begin with because I got a message recently from someone who um who is a woman in a relationship with a man and they've made the decision and they were asking me to kind of point them in directions of podcast episodes where the woman has made the decision and I guess mm-hmm. something is not always something we kind of delve into in the podcast but was it your decision and how did you broach that
2: yes, it was my decision and you know that's a really interesting question it would be interesting to researcher know you know who the the driver is because my feeling is that probably there's a point where one person really states it but i don't know i don't have other experiences um in my head it was what i was moving towards and i was seeing a therapist at the time as well i actually still still see the same therapist but um i was seeing her because i would wanted to do it as marital therapy with my ex and he wasn't interested in going so i was going on my own with her and so i did have a neutral party that i was you know bouncing my thoughts off of and she was excellent at not encouraging me one way or another but you know just asking questions um asking for my you know kind of gut feelings so i appreciated that because of the you know the fear and the stigma about divorce i wasn't talking to my family or really just only one of my friends. You know, there were a lot of people in my life that I wasn't sharing what I was going through in my head as I was sorting it out. So I did feel like by the time I got to the point of saying, you know, of course I'd given him some um, indications (laughs) that we would be moving that way and that I was considering divorce. It wasn't like it was just out of the blue, but I felt by the time I said, you know, this is definitely, I definitely want to get divorced that I felt very confident that that's what I wanted to do.
0: I was seeing a a therapist because my dad died just before I got divorce so I actually started seeing the therapist for grief and then Uh obviously we went into all sorts of things it's so useful to have that other person that doesn't you know that's not in your life and that hasn't seen it all to bounce things off of and 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 you said that you'd given indications that things were going that way Mm -hmm. what does that look like I'm just thinking if someone's listening and they're like do I need to indicate how can I indicate things might be going that way?
2: Well, I mean, I had said, I think we should see a couples therapist, you know, because of this and this incident that had happened recently. And, um, you know, would you be willing to do that? And um, and that had happened a couple times in our relationship. And ultimately, each time that I had broached that topic, he did, did not want to follow through with that. And so this was um, the third time So I felt like over the years I had also been building up towards it, but I I think that that's you know in hindsight, hindsight who knows I probably should have done it more often or done it earlier, but um, but I guess for somebody thinking about it, I think that that's maybe a good approach to take is to say you know I'm these are the things I'm unhappy with. Would you be willing to talk to somebody else? You know whether it's maybe it's your you know religious person in your life or but somebody who's like a neutral party. And so if you can get in to see a therapist. And I think that that's a pretty strong message back to you if your partner says, no, I won't do that. Because if that doesn't show you, you know, the value of the relationship in their lives, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward statement about how highly they
0: value the relationship, I think, because it's not a huge ask. Yeah. So how did it feel when he said no? Were you surprised? Well, not the third
2: time. No. The first time I was devastated. The second time, you know, kind of annoyed. Um The third time, you know, it was like, well, I think this really, it's telling me, you know, it took me a while to hear the message, but I think this is, you know, telling me pretty um, clearly what sort of effort he's willing to put into to make this relationship continue.
0: And I guess it's, it's that kind of olive branch, isn't it? Because a lot of the time to do with the the kind of shame we feel like and I definitely felt like have I done enough have I tried enough before I make Mm -hmm. this decision and I I guess if you are literally offering the person an option to try and help and they are saying no every time you're like well I've offered them this option three times and I've been doing work on my by myself on my own and what else can you do apart from just sitting in the misery and (laughs) letting it go.
2: Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's interesting to talk to you because it's making me think about that time uh, more clearly. And, and there was still a part of me that was making excuses for him for why he didn't want to go, you know, it was, um, you know, which isn't right. I'm not saying that was right, but um, I think that's why I had let it go. But very
0: go. relatable.
2: Yeah. That I was just like, oh, you know what, he is really busy and he does feel like he's being attacked. And, you know, if I'm taking us to a therapist and it's puts him on the defensive and, you know, and those are all not valid reasons, but, you know, it was the excuses I was making in my head for a while there.
0: Do you mind talking about how you had that end conversation? Did you plan it? Was it something that came up and you thought, I have to say this now? Was, was it just the two of you? Were the children involved?
2: Yeah, it definitely, um I'm a big planner. So, <laughs> so I definitely had, you know, some stages in mind once I was, you know, making the decision. And so he knew I was seeing the therapist. He knew that I was talking about divorce. And then we agreed to do, our, you know, I asked for kind of some separation. And obviously we had our kids in this situation. So it was a little bit complicated, but what I asked him is if I could have, you know, part of each week where I would go to my parents' house cause I just needed to like be away from being a mom and being a wife to think about the divorce. And, you know, I'm try- my, my kids were pretty young at the time. They were 12, 9, and 5. I'm trying to remember how we expressed that to them. I think that we didn't want to, you know, I think um, I was starting a new aspect of my career. And so I think we phrased it to them just that, you know, mommy needs some time out of the house. She's, you know, starting her new career. And, and so, you know, daddy's going to watch you for some of the time. And so, um, so they were getting used to having him part-time and me part-time because so we started trying out this nesting concept while we were separated but the main thing in terms of our relationship was I was taking that like six weeks or so to really decide and so at the end of it we had agreed that at the end of it we would meet just the two of us you know not in the house not in front of the kids and and you know by then I think I think he knew what I was going to say and I felt very confident in what I was going to say and so we had that meeting and um we had already been talking about if we got divorced, what we might do about co-parenting. And so we'd already started talking about nesting as a possibility. But it wasn't until we had that meeting that it was definite that yes, we're, yeah, we're getting divorced. Now we gotta figure out all the stuff after that. And then we did tell the kids together, not too long after that.
0: I like that you call it nesting as well. Why do you call it nesting and what does nesting mean to you?
2: Well, I mean, the other word people use is for this type of co-parenting is bird nesting where the kids stay in the family home and the parents take turns moving in and out to take care of them. So I guess, you know, kind of like how the mom and dad bird fly in and out of the nest to take care of the little baby birds Um, is what it came from, I guess. So, um, So we had decided that we would try to do that because we both liked the idea of not uprooting the kids' lives right away. Um, and fortunately, Bill was, my ex was supportive of the idea when I brought it up. so that you know was a, a huge plus that he was willing to work together to figure that out. And so we thought we would try it for a while as we figured out what divorce would be like, you know all the logistics and the financials and um, and so we kind of set you know maybe a year of doing it. but we have been um, living that way for nine years now and um, we are still doing it.
0: (laughs) Wow. So right now, are you in the family home or are you in...
2: I am in the family home and he's traveling for work. Um, He has remarried. And so when he's not in the family home, he's either traveling for work or he's at his wife's
0: home. So he's married now. So when he is in the family home, does Mm -hmm. he stay there with his wife?
2: She tends to stay at her own home. She still works as a teacher. So, you know, it's just kind of easier for her than to pack up and back and forth. But she does come here sometimes when it's, you know, Christmas holiday breaks or summertime. And fortunately, um, I think she's great. I've known her for many, many years now. They've been involved for a long time and she's a great um, influence in my kids' lives. And so um, it's not... An issue for us at all and um and it's kind of a help actually because she's probably a better communicator than, than he is and better at keeping track of schedules so it's kind of kind of nice to have somebody else that uh, is helping him keep a track of <laughs> parenting things
0: it's interesting as well because I've spoken to a couple of people who do this arrangement with their children and that the children stay mm-hmm. and the parents move. And I don't, I've not yet spoken to or found anyone in the UK who does it. Is it a bit of a trend in America? Is there a a wave of, obviously you've written the book on it, right. is there a wave of this as like, this is the new way you do things? Well,
2: I think there's definitely more interest in it. I think that the pandemic had some influence on people perhaps needing to you know, still stay together in the home, but, um, their marriages were ending. And so I think people were finding ways to do it. Um, I don't have any numbers and I've, I've looked into it because at least it's probably the same in the UK that when a divorce officially happens, they don't track in the court system if the people are going to be nesting or not.
0: Yeah. It's like no one cares Right after you've done the divorce. They're like, well, off you go. I'm not worried about you. No. <laughs> don't
2: come back unless there's another problem. So, um, so there's nobody really tracking it but i can say for my own experience i first wrote about this in um 2016. i did a a piece for the new york times and there were a lot of comments about it and a lot of people writing me with questions and so i set up a private facebook group um, which is still in existence it's called family nesting so if you're interested in nesting you can look for it and um and become a part of the group, which is private. So I have to you know, allow you to come into it. People can't see that you belong to it. And there were maybe about 20 of us for a couple of years. But in the past two years, there's over 600 people. And it's from all over the world. Um, I mean, primarily US, but a lot in UK, Northern Europe, Australia. Um, so I think there is, I mean, that's just my only like, anecdotal evidence, <laughs> that I think there is a groundswell. And also I can say when I first, you when know, we were doing it in twenty. 14. um, I'm a librarian before I became a writer. And so, you know, research is my thing. And I couldn't find anything about it, except I saw a mention of it in a book. And now if you put it in to Google or whatever, there's tons of information out there about bird nesting or nesting co-parenting. And so, um, so that tells me that there must be more people, you know, interested in it or doing it since there's so much information now, which is great.
0: I I think it's such an interesting concept because. I mean I'm pregnant at the moment and I didn't oh, have congratulations. a congratulations. Thank you. I didn't have a baby <laughs> with my ex and I obviously don't have a baby outside of my stomach at this time. But <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, if I was to break up with my partner now, like moving out of this house that I've lived in for so long and made a home in and then letting the child stay and then me moving around. I think I'd want to stay here with the child. I think it, it it almost sounds like putting your children first, but this is like a new level of putting your children first in that they get the house.
2: Right. Because I guess you can think of it, how it pains you to think of leaving your home. Your children would have that same yeah. feeling and, and their children. So it's probably even stronger. And, you know, my kids still had to get through, you know, teenage years and just all the stress of growing up that i felt like well yeah i don't love being away from them but i don't want to be married (laughs) and so um this is what i can do is give them this consistency of their home life and um and i was very i was in an apartment that you know was five minutes away and so they knew that if they needed me i could be there um and i certainly you know still tried to do things like volunteer at school or whatever where i could see them but i know yeah that's that's the hardest part of divorce i think is yeah being away from your kids
0: and i guess if you made the decision then you make the change and the children haven't made the decision
2: right and, and mm. i
0: see i definitely see that logic in it and in some respects is it quite nice to go somewhere else for a few days like a little <laughs> I was, holiday i would,
2: yes going to make that point Next, that um, it actually, you know, I had three kids, and I mean, I still have three kids, but a couple of them are in college now. But um, at the time, you know, it's a lot, and I was trying to start this new, you know, writing freelance writing career, and um, it was nice to walk into that apartment and just be completely by myself for a couple of days and not even any, you know, laundry from the kids or I didn't have to buy food for them or you know I had like, you know, like a bottle of wine and a frozen pizza and it was, you know, it's <laughs> in the refrigerator and I didn't have to think about, you know, the schedule. And so yes, I mean, and then I felt kind of rejuvenated to go back and be full-time Mom, because I'd had this little break. So um yeah, that was good. And it was really good for my mental health during the divorce too, to have that time to myself.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi.
0: Sure. Ding dong. It's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram, and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.penguinintheroom.com thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. And do you think it helps financially? Because I guess you're not taking on the burden of a whole house. You can have a smaller apartment where the kids don't have to have rooms.
2: Right. Or their stuff doesn't have to be duplicated. I mean, that was really um, another driving force for us was that we weren't in the position to immediately set up another household, you know, that could support three kids. Um, You know, we needed to stay near their school. Um, We really liked the house we were in and we almost certainly would have had to sell it and buy two smaller places to support. Uh, It just seemed like a lot of work and a lot of expense. And so it was kind of cool to figure out that maybe we could make it work a different way that wasn't so financially draining to either of us.
0: Yeah. And I I like that way of looking at it because A lot of the time, you know, we do talk about finances on the podcast and sometimes, you know, you you can get so involved in the emotional side of it that I know when I was getting divorced, all of a sudden I had to think about, oh, I'm going to be on my own now and that means I've only got my salary and what does that mean for the house I'm in? Can I keep it? You know, and I guess this is definitely an, an avenue you can go down if, like, the uh, majority of us you don't have the funds to kind of yeah set up two households right right and keep one you have already and so how does it work other than financials how does it work practically like with the laundry that you mentioned
2: right <laughs> yeah, um well that certainly you know had some um bumps along the way um because we had i had a kind of part Time, I had a part-time job by the time I had the third kid. And so uh, we had sort of defaulted to a lot of the gender traditional breakdown of tasks in the household. And I did more of the child care, household care. And so it was a big learning curve. And it was also hard for me because I needed to teach him a lot of things and make sure he understood, you know, about the kids' schedules and what needed to happen on certain days. And, you know, none of them could drive themselves at that point. And Yes, the laundry. And so it was hard. And you also have the emotions of divorce, you know, that you're dealing with, but it forced him to become more engaged in the kid's daily life than he had ever been. And you're more aware of what was going on with not, I mean, he was a good dad before, but you just get kind of more into that minutiae that if you don't have to deal with it, you can't appreciate some days the <laughs> enormity <laughs> of it that can be so overwhelming. And so, I think it gave him a you know greater appreciation for what I was doing and they just you know tied him more closely to the kids' lives. So it was hard and there was a lot of writing stuff down um you know what the, how you do things and what the schedule is and um we made it work eventually but yeah there were some there were some times when we were pretty angry with the other person for, you know, over laundry or what groceries had been or not been purchased or you know whatever but you yeah you get through it
0: <laughs> so I'm imagining that you have like some sort of written down schedule now for chores do you or have you just sort of
2: well you know we did um we we did at first everything was very spelled out um again probably like my librarian background organizing everything and so there was a lot of stuff that was, you know, really spelled out clearly. And that was good. But as I said, we've been doing this for nine years. So uh, and the kids have gotten older, you know, eventually the oldest could drive that, you know, could do more of the chores, could mow the lawn, you know, like they became more (laughs) useful to to the household and got older. And then there was a point probably about four years in where he started traveling for work a lot. And so that became our schedule was when he had to travel for work, I came in the house and, you know, when he was back and it would, we just kind of kept it at whatever half of the month, you know, 50% of the month, instead of having a very set, like it was the first few years, you know, I came in at Wednesday, 7am left Saturdays at 4pm every week. And since the kids were older, you know, they were more flexible with not having a definite schedule. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of evolution.
0: And if you don't mind me asking, how does it work with like sleeping? Do you sleep in the same bed? Not anymore. (laughs) Um,
2: When we first started out, I'm trying to remember, Um, we shared this apartment, a one bedroom apartment nearby, but shared, we were never there at the same time. You know, we moved in and out of it and treated it kind of like an Airbnb, but there was just one bed there. So the rule was, you know, you had to wash the sheets before the next, there were clean sheets on the bed when the next person came in and clean towels in the bathroom. At the, family home for a while we did the same thing with the the main bedroom that we had shared which sounds weird but at the time I mean all my stuff was like I hadn't totally transitioned into the apartment all my clothes were there so we did the same thing of just changing the sheets but after a few months we were fortunate that we had an extra bedroom in the home that's um, down in the basement and so after a few months of that I said I'm gonna set up you know, the basement bedroom is my main place when I'm in the family home, and um, and so that's what we did then. So now at least we have we each have private space in the home.
0: Yeah, I think because I was going to say that feels important to just have your own.
2: It was very important. Yeah, it felt great when I did it. You know, like I, I didn't realize how important <laughs> it would be until you know we really made that break, and um, and then when he started traveling for work so much, he wasn't coming into the apartment anymore, so the apartment became my space and um that was really nice too even though he was never there at the same time you just you know kind of have a sense of the other person and so it that was really um good too to have that
0: because that's interesting i i didn't realize when you said it before that you were sharing the apartment as well as the family home yeah yeah so there kind of was no escape from each other
2: right in a way although you know physically you weren't you weren't actually around the other yeah. person.
0: But could you, like, smell them in the air, you know, like <laughs> well, after yeah, that after show? You know,
2: you're like, oh, there is, you know, damn shoes
0: in the hallway again. Or,
2: yeah, you know, oh, I hate when he puts the stuff away in the fridge like that. And, yeah, so there was that still. Um, but there was still, you know, we weren't around each other face to face hardly at all. Eventually we became that we, you know, overlapped in the house a lot and, you know, family dinners and all sorts of stuff together. But initially we, we didn't really see each other. if We could
0: help it. <laughs> but what was that like emotionally? Cause obviously you weren't seeing each other, but you still had the essence of the other person around. Because I remember when I got divorced and we'd lived in this house I'm still in now together. And it was kind of that like removing of all the things and that those chairs we bought and they had this memory around them and you know, you had all of that still around all the time. So what was that like?
2: I mean, it was challenging. That's probably, I would say, you know, one of the biggest challenges of doing this nesting co-parenting is that there is that aspect to it. And um, I think, you you know, have to either just accept that's how it's going to be or put some thought into, you know, defining private spaces at each place, um, having some rules about, you know how much of your own personal stuff you can leave out around the house i guess also um i would say for us since we had the kids and we've been married for so long the memories of the, this that the stuff would bring up was more about the kids growing up there wasn't so much of even though yeah some of it may have been like plates from our wedding or whatever there'd been so many things that had happened in our history since that time that you know, it was more just things that I remembered with the kids. So, um, so I think that helped.
0: And so what do you think, you know, you're nine years in now, what do you think this nesting experience has brought to your family that, you know, doing things, the traditional and inverted commas way of just separating wouldn't have brought?
2: Well, um, a number of things, you know, I think we aren't, it helped us financially. I think we'd be a lot, you know, more in the whole, if uh, financially, if we'd had to keep two households going. But more importantly, I think our kids have always just had a very comfortable sense of their home life and, you know, had a very consistent upbringing. Their friends always knew where to find them. They never had to keep track of homework between between different places. You know, the dog was, they never had to leave the dog. The dog was, you know, they were with the dog all the time and i think that it gave them a good example though they probably don't recognize it but hopefully someday they will of um how much we loved them that we were willing to try this kind of untraditional somewhat challenging approach and work together he and i to keep a life that we felt was good for them so i think that set a good example and i think also then even though as i talked about being contentious early on over time I would say Bill and I have become good friends and have a better relationship than we did when we were married. And so my kids have no drama of like us both being at an event or, you know, dad's wife and, and mom are going to be at my birthday party. Like it's no big deal to them. It's just what we do. And, um, and I have a partner in my life too, who is part of that now. And, um, and we've just, you know, taken a very gradual approach, but always kind of focused on what are the kids comfortable with. And, you know, maybe they'll at some point reflect back on <laughs> what this was like. But um, I think it was just good for us, all of us, overall. And certainly better than when we were married.
0: No, I was going to say, actually, have you ever spoken to the children about it? Because obviously you've written the book. And have you ever had a conversation with them about it and how it's been for them?
2: Yeah, for sure. I guess because I've done some of this writing about it. I've talked to them about it. Um, and they have expressed, you know, because they have friends who have the traditional approach of two households and see the stress that that brings. So they've expressed, you know, how they're really happy they've never had to do that. I think though, you know, going back to the therapist and the neutral party topic we were discussing earlier, I had my kids see a therapist when we first divorced, sort of just to have a neutral party, give me feedback on how they were doing and give them a place, you know, to talk. And after a year or so, she said that, she had lots of kids of divorce in her practice, but mine were the only ones who never brought up their parents' divorce as something that was stressful in their lives. And she said she had never encountered that before. You know, they had stresses from friendships in school and it wasn't like they didn't have stress in their life, but the divorce wasn't something that they ever brought up. So that was nice to hear.
0: That's a pretty good review, isn't it, of it? But- yeah, <laughs> And and you said you've got a partner now. How did you explain the situation to your partner and how did they react? Were you worried about how they might react? No,
1: I
2: dated for a little while before we started dating. So I'd had some practice, you know, <laughs> giving the, the little talk to new people. But I guess what I always felt like was one, I was very glad we were doing this. So I wasn't like nervous about it or trying to keep it secret but I knew it was untraditional and might confuse people. And so I thought it was important, you know, early on, if I was having, you know, maybe a second date, certainly by the second date with somebody, I would bring it up to be clear about what was happening. But also, you know, it was important to be clear that I wasn't doing this because my ex and I might be getting back to, you know, there was nothing, we were not doing this to get back together in any way. We were divorced. This was just about co-parenting. And so um, I don't think everybody, you know, could have been comfortable with it, but it was a good way to find out who, you know, was willing to support me in that, who recognized the importance of children when they're young and you know the sacrifices that you make. And so I felt it was kind of a good way to <laughs> weed out prospective <laughs> dating partners. Um but you know, not to gloss over the challenges because I'm sure it is challenging. Um but my partner has always been really great about communicating if if he did feel you know uncomfortable with something or certainly more often he's communicating his support for it and um and you know the the results of how he sees my children you know they how they are and the relationship they have with us so I guess that's why he's still around because he's been very supportive
0: <laughs> I guess it also means that you have dedicated time just the two of you when you're exactly. away. Although I can imagine it would be difficult if you were both divorced and both doing nesting with your exes, because the logistics of that would be quite complicated. Right.
2: Which actually, uh, he is divorced and had, but not doing nesting, he was doing the traditional approach with his son moving back and forth. So we did have some logistical challenge of, you know, are you free when I'm free? And eventually after, you know, a couple of years, then we did introduce each person to the kids. And so that, you know, opened up a little more time. But a lot of people who nest have, and we, we did, um, had rules in place, you know, they weren't legally binding, I guess, but we'd agreed that we wouldn't have other adults come into the house when we were parenting. And that if we wanted to introduce a dating partner to the kids, we agreed we would talk to the other parent first before we did something like that. And so I think that made us pretty conscious about getting serious with somebody. And, you know, kind of slowed our role after divorce, so to speak, <laughs> into a new relationship.
0: Yeah, because that can be such a big worry, I think, is not only jumping into new relationships, but then also introducing children to someone who might not be around for a long time. And Right. yeah. So, so when was the turning point when you thought, I'm going to write about this, first of all, for the article, and then you thought, I need to do a book?
2: The article was really just because... I felt I I still didn't see a lot of stuff online about it. And so I thought, I think I just, you know, I'm going to pitch it to the newspaper and see if they want to cover the story. So that it was then it was kind of the reaction to that that really got me thinking about doing a book. Because once people saw my name attached to that article, it was pretty easy to find me and send me an email. Um, I set up the Facebook group. And so I started getting just a lot of questions and a lot of the same questions again, you know, how do you divide up grocery costs? How do you date? You know, how, how'd you tell your kids, which are all great, important questions. And so I started thinking, you know, I really need, I keep typing these individual emails to different people. Like maybe I should see if, uh, there's a better way to convey this information. And so luckily I found a publisher that wanted to share that. And I think what, um, Initially, I hadn't thought of this, but then what came to me as I was thinking about it was I interviewed five other families who are nesting, um, one in Toronto, Canada, but the other ones are in the U.S. But um, So it's, it's cool, I think, to, it was cool for me to learn about the different ways that they were doing it, the different lengths. Some of them had stopped doing it, some of them were still doing it, um, some of them were pretty new to it. And so I think that that's um, something that I really enjoyed from the book was learning about how other families did it and, um, you know, the advice they had. So, yeah, I'm glad it all worked out to get to to the book form. And I hope it can help people, even if, you know, even if you don't want to nest a long time like I did. I mean, I didn't intend to do it this long. So it may be something you consider temporarily or it may just help you think through doing things slightly differently, however works for you and your family. you know, your future ex and your kids. It doesn't have to be one set way.
0: I could definitely relate to your book journey because I'm deaf and I wear a hearing aid and I lip read. Hence ah, okay. why we do this on video, oh,
1: even though cool. I don't
0: use the video. Um, but I started writing articles about it and talking about my deafness, and then I got so many mm-hmm. questions and I was typing out the same thing every time. I could totally relate to that. No, I thought then, yeah. I just need to put this in one place and so then everyone yeah. can see it. And then right. that turns into a book. But what was, you know, it is quite a feat writing a book. Um, how, you know, it takes a lot. Well, maybe it's just me, but it takes a lot out of you. How no, How you're was right. that, how <laughs> that process for you, especially when it's something, you know, obviously you're interviewing other people and I did the same for my book, but you're also yeah. talking about your own experience. So yeah. how was how that kind of psychological process for you?
2: It was very draining. <laughs> for sure but as uh probably anybody who writes knows that there's these moments of like oh yes that's that's what i wanted to say that is the story i wanted to tell and then there's like 90 of the time where you're just like i i'm a terrible writer i don't know <laughs> how i'm ever gonna get this done on time um and it was a challenge because uh this would have been last year that i was i and I had a tight deadline. I had like five months to really write write it completely. And um, it was summertime. And so Bill was working full time, traveling some. My kid, two, two of my kids were home for summer break. And so it was hard to be in the house and, you know, trying to parent and find time to write. And I always just felt like I was, you know, beating myself up, that I wasn't doing anything very well. Um, so it was nice when I could go to the apartment. <laughs> and not parents and just sit and write however much I could you know manage so um so yeah it was uh it was definitely an interesting process
0: I'd like to have a writing <laughs> apartment and I didn't even have any children to look after while I was writing <laughs> yeah. I'm like that sounds great I know, it's, <laughs> no distractions
2: yeah, just get away.
0: <laughs> um, so what what sort of response have you had to the book? You know, now everything is written down in the same place and people can really get to grips with the idea.
2: I was just on um, GB News Breakfast a couple of weeks ago there in the UK. I mean, I did it
0: by Zoom, obviously. Um, They're a little bit like Fox News in the US.
2: I know, I was a little nervous, but they were, su- they were so kind and had such lovely questions. And I was, so I felt like it was a very, very positive experience. And, um, and so I think that's, you know, a step towards and then out your podcast, you know, connecting more with people in the UK, who I would love to hear from, and they certainly can, you know, get get to me from my website. Um, So I just I mostly find it, you know, really heartening to hear that people are thinking about it, or that there's a lot of people who've been doing it for a long time, and they didn't even really know what they were doing or that there was a name for it um and so that's really great to hear um i'll mention there is like a there's an audiobook version of it as well and um an ebook version too so if people don't want to get the hard copy you know you can do the audiobook or something and i've heard people say a couple of people on the Facebook group have t- commented how they like the audiobook version so which is not me reading it it's somebody, <laughs> a professional <laughs> so
0: so that's good to hear
2: um yeah we'll just kind of see where where it goes I guess how it helps people.
0: So can you remind us of the book and where mm-hmm. to get it and your website where we can find yeah. you? Yeah.
2: Yeah. The book is called Nesting after divorce co-parenting in the family home. And it's um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, which is Waterstones in the UK, I believe. And um, and then you can get it through independent bookstores as well. And that's where you can get the e-version or the audio versions as well. And um, my uh, website is familynesting.org. Um, but you also can look for me by my name, bethbarrent.com has just my writing career on other things besides nesting so um but family nesting is probably the best place to find the nesting specific
0: content well, thank you so much
2: thank you this was fun Good. You, had me, you, you had me thinking those were great questions <laughs> <laughs> thank
0: you very much I I like try. That. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one, or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at divorce pod and at Samantha Baines we have a website the divorcesocial.com and we have a patreon account which means the use Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.